League of Kansas Municipalities representatives have reserved seats to observe how more than 600 cities in Kansas have interacted with other levels of the government hierarchy during the COVID-19 pandemic. Trey Cocking and Eric Sartorius can point to collaborative efforts in which information about emergency equipment, coronavirus testing, and distribution of the vaccine was freely disseminated and decisions made for the good of all. However, there are examples of harmful information bottlenecks cutting city officials out of the loop and inconsistencies in how Federal CARES Act pandemic assistance was funneled from the states to counties and, at the end of the line, to cities. I'm Noah Taborda. On this edition of the Kansas Reflector podcast, senior reporter Tim Carpenter sits down with Cocking and Sartorius of the League of Municipalities. Eric and Trey, thanks for joining us today on the Kansas Reflector. Thank it. It's so important for us to talk about issues that cities really care about. Uh, one of the topics that is on everyone's mind is COVID. Uh, Eric, why don't you kind of talk about what's going on in the state house about uh, the coronavirus and, and from the city perspective? Uh, from the city perspective on COVID, uh, there are a couple of things that I would say are at the forefront. Uh, one is vaccinating and getting vaccinations out. You know, the governor has said we're, we're getting close to being done with phase one and into phase two, and that gets into a lot of public safety workers, and that's going to be critical for, for us for operations, um, particularly in our smaller communities, um, local government employees wear multiple hats. They may, they may work in public works, but they may also sometimes uh, be a volunteer firefighter. We need those folks to be healthy. The other aspect of, of what we've, um, we're watching early on in the session is an extension of the uh, emergency orders authority and, and seeing that, that we're able, us businesses, residents are able to, to operate under uh, much of the same uh, emergency orders we have been operating under until the legislature has time to get into a deeper dive on emergency management uh, operations reform. Trey, are there things that you absolutely think that cities need to have in that, in that bill the legislature is going to be working on the next couple of months about uh, emergency declarations? I mean, you know, as we look at it, we have cities that span two counties and in some cases, three counties. Um, you know, we just need certainty for those cities, how they operate under the different declarations. Um, you know, so, and, and lots of times cities are, make up 80% of a county and just making sure that they know what's going on, that their leaders are empowered um, to work with county officials and aren't are getting good information. I think that's one of the things we've struggled with is just getting good information, um, making sure that's coming down from counties to cities um, so that citizens are protected. So there's a there's kind of an information uh, narrow, too narrow of a pipeline from the feds to the states, to the counties, to the cities. Correct. And in some places it works great. They have um, working groups that really get that information disseminated. Um, in other places, there's those bottlenecks and it just does not flow like it should. Um, so we just need to make sure cities are in those loops so we know what's going on, whether it's with the vaccination plan or whether it's, you know, it's this new variant of COVID as we start seeing if that's going to impact us, just making sure that we're getting good information to our folks. Eric, I'm curious if you think cities have had some heartburn about the way county governments have handled the pandemic. 
you know, the counties really, they kind of have veto power over some uh, issues raised by the governor. So do you think there's a gap there with the cities? It's, it's at times made, made things challenging, Tim, and, and I would really echo what, what Trace said. Um, in, in some county and city relationships, things are very good, very open. There's uh, open channel of communication. There's the ability to, to air issues uh, and, and look for solutions. In other places, I've, I've had cities that have uh, needed to approach their counties for, for CARES Act funding uh, that said, I'm not going to get any traction and our city fears that it will be held against us if we, if we raise too big a ruckus. So please don't use our names or, or bring issues up on our behalf. Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. Uh, well, Trey, I, I think the governor has made a, a talk relentlessly over the past year about a federal bill that would provide direct relief to states and cities uh, that, that have been financially impacted by COVID. What do you think? Do you guys work on the federal level at all on that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. And we've had conversations with our, you know, with our federal members um, about the subject. It's something we've been concerned about. It's something we've been concerned about since early on. Um, you know, fortunately, some of the worst case numbers didn't come true that we were seeing early on in the pandemic. Um, but we still have cities that have been heavily hit um, with sales tax off 10 to 15 percent, um, which is still a good chunk of their operating budget. Um, definitely has an impact on them. Um, you know, we still don't know how property tax is going to shut is going to work out really too early on that. Um, but we do know I'm concerned personally about commercial space going forward. Um, even if the best case scenarios are right on the commercial space that, you know, there's still demand for between 80 and 90% of what was demanded pre COVID that still has a significant impact on commercial space going forward especially for those cities that, you know, have a lot of office buildings. And, stuff. and what you're talking about there is that maybe businesses are going to decide, wow, you know, we got along with people working remotely. We don't need that office anymore. I mean, that and, that's, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. My, you know, my wife works for a big corporation downtown Topeka and, you know, she hasn't, I think she's been in the office twice in the last 10 months. Um, so, you know, I don't know what that looks like for her, but, you know, I know she's found out that she is, fully capable of working from home and, you know, things seem to go well in a lot of virtual meetings. Um, so, you know, so I think it's going to be interesting just on how people come back and what space looks like. And, you know, that's a whole nother discussion, but, you know, you know, maybe she wants to go into the office on Mondays and, you know, so is there a shared space component that she has with somebody else um, who's just in one or two days a week? So that'll be interesting for it, but that impacts commercial. What we're seeing is that impacts commercial real estate from the property tax standpoint. Correct. Um, which is what we're concerned about, just as there's less demand that's going to lower prices and um, that, you know, that just impacts property taxes. And that's the early part of it. But what we're seeing right now is really on the sales tax side of it, where we're seeing, um, and it's really our larger cities that are, I'm not going to say tourism draws, but regional draws, um, their sales tax has been down. Um, significantly, whether it's Manhattan, Lawrence, um, or into the Kansas City area, um, their sales tax has been down um, because of this, and people are shopping closer to home, or you know the the Amazon packages keep on showing up on their front porch. So we'll talk about um, sales tax in a minute. But Trey, you mentioned the property tax. There's a very important property tax piece of legislation uh, pending in the state house. 
I, I believe that it was tried before, but Governor Kelly didn't like it. And so uh, legislators are taking another crack at it. Do one of you want to just kind of briefly outline uh, that piece of legislation? Sure. Um, it's kind of been my, my world for the last few years. So basically, it's a tax transparency bill. Currently, you get um, two statements every year from the county. One says exactly how much your property is valued at. And then the other one comes out in November, maybe sometimes December, but it says what your property taxes are for the year. So what this would basically create is if a jurisdiction is going to take in $1 more um, than what they did um, the previous year, um, they have to pay to have basically a third statement sent out. Um, and it's a consolidated statement. So if it's both the city and county and um, like here in Topeka, the airport authority or Washburn, you know, they would all share the cost in um, sending that statement out. But it's supposed to say, hey, this is how much they're going to increase your taxes specific to every piece of property. And this is when the tax or the hearing is. And if you're concerned that they're raising your property taxes at all or too much, um, show up to the tax hearing at such and such date and time and place. Um, it repeals the tax lid, which has just not worked city level. We don't feel that it's worked. But even if you talk to some of the taxpayer advocates, they, the tax lid didn't do what they thought it would do either. So it repeals that and then puts in place this transparency. So the thought is if a city or county or community college is raising your taxes at all or too much more than you're comfortable with, you're gonna make that trip down to city hall. And you know, you're gonna tell them that you know, this is, they're raising it too much. And then city hall has the chance to say, hey, this is what we're, um, what we're spending it on. Um, you know, I was a city manager for 11 years and so often I'd have be at an event and somebody would come up to me and say, Hey, Trey, property taxes are too high. And I said, you know, it's one of our long-term goals that we're trying to slowly bring down property taxes. We recognize that. And then before I could even finish that sentence, the next thing out of their mouth would be, Hey, I heard our cops were only making $15 an hour. Don't you think our law enforcement officers should be paid more than that? And hey, I know you guys have demolished some property. Have you looked at the property next to my mom's house? I think it really needs to go. And have you driven down um, Main Street lately? There's several potholes. So, I mean, so the next thing that they would reel off, reel off is 10 things to spend money on. Right. Um, so, you know, so that, so what this is designed to do is create that, I guess, transparency and have that conversation. Um, it sort of forces public disclosure about what a taxing entity is doing in terms of property taxes uh, when those numbers shift. Uh, Eric, do you, are you concerned at all that the legislature is sticking its nose into city affairs when, you know, those are elected city officials too, and shouldn't they be allowed to run their cities the way they see fit? Sure, to the, to the largest extent possible. And, and you know, uh, cities do actually have constitutional uh, home rule to, to do just that, but the legislature does have, have some uh, powers and purview. I think one of the positives from this piece of legislation and something that Senator Tyson has stressed to us is uh, that it does get rid of the tax lid. And, and that, that is, is probably- a, Eric, could you just explain what that tax lid was designed to do? Sure, it was, it was designed to trigger uh, a public election um, if, if cities spending 
exceeded a certain uh, consumer price index rolling average threshold. Um, and, and our argument all along with that is that these are folks who were elected by their, uh, by their neighbors, by their fellow residents uh, to lead the city and again, much like with the state legislature have, have assigned their trust in governing to them. Um, and so a, a requirement to hold an election seemed like another, another step, another layer. Uh, so the, the positive from, from this legislation is its focus is transparency and leaving the hands of the local uh, elected officials to choose uh, whether to increase revenue, decrease revenue, and, and make the case versus having to jump through the, the hoops of another election when there's already been an election that said how, how they want the, their cities to run. Mm -hmm. It does seem to me that, that maybe this- you know, there, are, there are bits and pieces. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just saying it does look like um, the cur current bill that's uh, in the state house is more refined effort to deal with property taxes than maybe the tax lid was. The tax lid seemed like a blunt instrument. You guys want to talk about the internet sales tax? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely. Okay, so uh, that Trey's been. Uh, yeah, Trey, why don't you take a crack at that as well? You, you've done good job on your tax briefing so far. Thanks. So internet sales taxes, you know, it's been a major issue for cities um, before the um, Supreme Court decision came out a couple of years ago that said it could in fact be implemented. Um, you know, our concern is, as we look at all of these internet sales tax issues, our main street businesses have had been competing unfairly um, now for years. Um, you know, and yes, the Department of Revenue has taken steps to address some of it, but I'm amazed as I unfortunately make those purchases on Amazon. I have two young kids and I, I know I click that button more than I probably should, um, but you know, it's a huge time saver, right? But you know, I'm amazed at how often that I don't pay sales tax even today on those purchases. So if I buy something directly from Amazon LLC, I pay sales tax on it. But if I buy something, let's say from Gary's Electronics that does not have a presence in the state of Kansas, even though they're using Amazon as their um, marketplace facilitator, I don't pay sales tax on that. Now, under Kansas law, I'm required when I fill out my Kansas taxes every year to figure out how many of those purchases I made online, and I'm required to remit that sales tax. But, uh, but a lot of people sure, don't do that, right? I'm pretty sure it's myself and maybe 20 other people in the state of Kansas um, that actually <laughs> um, remit that sales tax and keep track of it. Um, you know, I and I, you know. Primarily, one of the reasons I do it is for when I testify in front of the House Tax Committee, mm -hmm. I want to see exactly how many transactions I've made in the year and how many were taxed and not taxed. Okay, and so there, I'm sorry about that. Um, yes, there's an yeah, Trey. There's an effort to uh, try to collect an additional that additional portion of sales tax out there that third parties are, are involved in. Is that correct? So, yeah. So it's an additional third party if they don't have a nexus in Kansas. Um, ensuring that that's done. And then the other piece of the puzzle is the digital goods. Um, so um, my wife and I have not rented a movie um, from a 
physical location, uh, I'm pretty sure in five years. Um, you know, everything is Netflix or Amazon or, you know, directly on my computer. Well, as we know, you know, I was a student at Washburn 20 years ago here in Topeka, and, you know, we were constantly going to Blockbuster to rent movies. Um, Blockbuster hasn't been open in Topeka for a long time. Um, then there was the Redbox era. Less and less Redboxes now as everybody is going to get it directly online. Right. Um, so cities have lost for years, whether it's the record store, whether it's the video store, whether it's the bookstore, all of those items that we used to be able to get tax on, we don't get tax on those anymore as people are buying those digitally. Um, so, you know, that's another piece of fairness um, that we think with those digital taxes and that third party marketplace facility. Taxes. Right. So the League of Kansas municipalities wants, wants that additional sales tax collected because you would get a portion of that? Yeah, you know, so, yeah. so typically in Kansas, there's 6.5% that goes to the state of Kansas, um, and it varies by locality. Um, you know, I think it's 9.15 total here in um, the city of Topeka, um, so that other almost 3%, uh, 2.85% or two, whatever, I need to do that math, the 2, 2.65%. This podcast, we don't worry about math so much. Don't worry <laughs> 2.65%, that. Um, that goes to um, the county to the city and to Washburn University. Okay. I, I, I know the, the league has a lot of priorities. You, you try to represent cities on a, on a wide range of things. Another item on the agenda is, is basically EMS services and, and, and local hospitals. And I think one element of that uh, in terms of the league is expansion of Medicaid. Eric, do you wanna, do you wanna discuss why the league is supportive of, of expansion of eligibility for Medicaid? Sure, we've had this as a position for about three years, uh, brought to us by several, several of our cities. Um, some with uh, significant dollars that would be opened up uh, to their residents and services and, and others uh, as, as we get into particularly the ambulance aspect of it, that every dollar matters in a, in a local uh, small town, uh, small city. We don't have towns in Kansas. Um, so being able to, to draw down better matches, being able to supplement those services with, with dollars that are available. And, and I looked at a map and I believe all of our surrounding states have uh, adopted ex Medicaid expansion um, really leaves our cities in, in a bind and and you know it then circles back to the property tax question that if if medicaid dollars or, or other ways to fund these these necessary services are not available then we're then we're back in the boat with with using property taxes to provide them so it it it's an issue that that impacts cities in in myriad ways you know, I'm not sure people, everybody understands the importance of these kinds of services to people live in rural areas, you know, the fire, the police, EMS. I know when you call it punch 911, you sure as hell want somebody to show up, you know, so these are critical services. You know, and especially I, my first job, I was city administrator in a um, small city in Southeast Kansas. And, you know, we were 35 minutes away from the closest hospital. Um, so, you know, that really put the stress on our um, paramedics and um, emergency uh, medical technicians 
because they had to do the work. Um, they had to get the person stabilized so they could get them to the hospital. Versus where you're in Topeka, Wichita, Kansas City, you're 10, 15 minutes from a hospital. It just that extra time and you need those, you need their professional skills. And those are often the cities that can't afford it. So anything helps. Yeah, that stuff's life and death. Another issue of concern in, in cities nationwide, you know, we've had a lot of protests over the last year about law enforcement and the work they do and the limits of and the budgeting for. Do your, do your members, I think you have about 600 cities that you serve, you know, kind of what's the temperature of, of the reform movement? Is it pretty much status quo for a lot of these cities or is there a lot of discussion going on about how people might be more, organizations might be more responsive to, to people? There are 625 cities in the state of Kansas. Um, I would estimate that it's, you know, the largest, probably 200 that have their own police departments. Um, you know, and it varies so much by community to community. Uh, obviously, you have the larger cities that are um, faced with this every day, and they are looking at their police departments. And even our mid-sized city, I'm going to say mid-sized cities, they're really large cities for Kansas. Um, but our Atchison's, Ark Cities, um, you know, they've been forced into having, not forced, but, you know, they this last year has made them drawn to having this um, these conversations about community and race. So it is really trying to find what is that right education for officers? Um, how do you make sure that when there's an issue, it's being addressed, um, it's being addressed fairly? Um, Tailing off of that is the issue of mental health. And I'm wondering about mental health services in, in cities in Kansas. Uh, you know, like in a large city, maybe you would have a mental health facility but maybe in smaller communities, those services are quite distant. Is, is there a need there that, that, that you could advocate for or the, the state could help uh, cities with? Um, maybe less so uh, helping, helping cities as in the city government, but helping cities as in communities, certainly. Um, if, if you listen to updates from community mental health centers, um, and, and folks in all of our cities, uh, they've had uh, a huge uptick in services. They've, they've worked through uh, being able to uh, conduct business online. And, and you know, we do have some cities, primarily larger, larger ones. And, and uh, I know there's some programs in Johnson County, for instance, uh, trying to fold in mental health services more into um, the uh, law enforcement aspect and, and what we're doing. We had a, a speaker at our annual virtual conference this year, uh, Patrick Skinner, he's a, a, an officer from Georgia. And a couple, couple of things he focuses on is, um, and this gets to police reform, there, there, is a, an, there are infinite possibilities between doing nothing and doing the wrong thing. Uh, so that's one. Uh, the second is 911 has become a catch-all for everything. People call because uh, they're lonely. People call because they don't know how to bake a pizza, honestly. <laughs> um, people call because their light bulb is out and they can't change it. And people call because their neighbor mowed two inches onto their side. And most importantly, people call 911, which sends law enforcement 
when there's a mental health emergency and and is at times that is the appropriate response if if there are uh, violent and dangerous situations at other times uh, it probably needs to be a combination or more mental health focus but 911 is kind of the the blunt tool for addressing any and all societal problems and and you you leave officers in a in a really difficult bind and then you leave uh, both city and county law enforcement in a tough space when there's no availability of a bed space for folks who really do need uh, mental health treatment uh, at the state level. I mean, that, that can be a multi-day multi wait and uh, law enforcement will tell you, they know that that's not the best answer. Uh, mental health professionals will definitely tell you it's not the best answer, um, but we as a state have not uh, addressed that issue yet. Yeah, <clears throat> that's certainly an issue that's not going to be uh, resolved quickly. There's another uh, issue that I wanted to ask you about before our time runs out, and that is broadband services. I think federal dollars in the pandemic have been dedicated by the state of Kansas to uh, improving access to broadband, which we all would acknowledge makes our life much easier, just having good internet services. But with COVID, people uh, trying to go to school from home and the connectivity of some people is pretty awful and it's a huge impediment. And I think it, it, there's rural urban issues, there's, there's the gap between the low income people and the people have uh, access to technology. What would, what would the league like to see in terms of broadband? Uh, continuing to press forward. Uh, we, we served on the uh, broadband expansion planning task force uh, two summers ago and, and uh, helped bring that report to the legislature. And uh, the legislature was working through a funding mechanism and, and a little bit more guidance. What we have gotten is, uh, I believe it's $5 million a year for, for 10 years through uh, the Department of Transportation and the, the uh, transportation program, Ike. Right, and uh, so that was actually money before COVID, right? The state had yeah. recognized the problem? Yep, okay. um, and, and have, have recognized it for, for a, a long time. It, we, uh, uh, Mead, Mead, Kansas is one of the examples I give, uh, and listening to... Um, their representatives, listening to city officials, uh, kids go to the library after school to do their homework. Uh, kids go home and eat dinner, and then kids bicycle back down to sit outside the library because that's the only reliable uh, broadband. I mean, that may have changed recently, but that's been that's been an, an issue. And I think the only thing that that I would caution for the state on. And, and some of the challenges and, and uh, objections we've had over the past several years is as cities right-of-way authority has been uh, peeled back as uh, access to the right-of-way and, and doing so without really any compensation to the public who owns the right-of-way, any significant compensation moving forward. Uh, there's that balance of uh, yes, we need we need broadband facilities in places, but there hasn't been a trade-off uh, by the legislature of if we're going to allow this expedited movement and if we are going to 
reduce or remove what what cities can can uh, collect in revenue from use of the right of way. Um, shouldn't there be some sort of requirement that this means that that companies uh, need to take advantage of that, not just in the suburbs of Johnson County or Wichita, uh, where you will have uh, lucrative customers who who may want the one one gig service and will want multiple lines of service, but that the Mead Kansases of the world don't get uh, left behind because they are a uh, high cost, low reward, if you will, for the number of customers. And that's the that's the partnership that I want to see uh, continue and flourish at the state. You know, there are several states around us uh, that are investing even even more heavily. Um, Minnesota's not right next to us, but just up the road. Uh, 50 million a year is what they put into broadband expansion. And over the past five to seven years, they have had an incredible uh, change in, in what their coverage map looks like. Uh, it's broadband is becoming fairly ubiquitous for them. Eric Sartorius, Trey Cocking, I want to thank you both uh, and helping us understand the League of Kansas municipalities views on these important issues. And uh, thanks very much for your time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Kansas Reflector podcast. This episode was hosted by senior reporter Tim Carpenter and produced by me, Noah Taborda. We will be back next week with another episode. Until then, thanks for listening.